We don't win down here. We lose. You ready for that? Oh, you, th- oh, you were a post-millennialist. You thought we we're just going to go waltzing into the kingdom as you took over the world. Welcome to Nobody with a Bible. I'm Chief Nobody Brandon, and here we talk about all the things and use biblical discernment while doing so. So let's dig in, not using your feelings, but God's truth. What's wrong with you people? I'm serious. I mean, this is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is, and we don't know who we are. All right, we have come to the fifth point in our podcast series here where we've been taking a look at the five points of Calvinism and looking at whether or not they are biblical or they are something that was just cooked up by John Calvin, you know, something that's completely not biblical. Uh, Hopefully we've helped just explaining these things from a basic sense and this again this this podcast is by no meant this series by no means is supposed to be a full discourse on all of the five points it's just summing you know summing them up quickly and taking it to scripture to see whether or not these things are biblical or not um and whether you agree or not, I mean, we have these these things are rooted in Scripture. I mean, you don't have to agree with them, and that's that's another thing. Is that's fine if you if you fall more on the free will side, and you know you don't, or you you completely disagree. That's okay. But one thing that you have to understand is these things are rooted in Scripture. They're not rooted in just some doctrine of men. And that's, that's one common thing that I hear a lot is, is people that tend to slander these things. They tend to say that these are just doctrines of men and evil and demi- and all these things. And it's, the, the, I mean, that is just ignorance when people say that. Um, they, they, it, it, and I have seen ignorance on all levels especially when we talk about these subjects and that's kind of what prompted this podcast is is to try to just answer to some of that ignorance and say okay really is this a doctrine of man or is this something rooted in scripture and we have provided the scriptures and and pointed out that these things are absolutely rooted in scripture and we believe that um, I think largely the New Testament affirms these things almost in nearly in every single letter uh, or every single book that we read. So again, it's it's not one of those things that you have to agree with yet. And I don't I, I don't think this is you know I'm not intending to change anybody's mind here. Um, but you have to you have to think about these things. You have to give them honest thoughts. Don't be too dogmatic about it. Open up yourself for learning okay you don't have to we all don't have to come to the same conclusions and i think that in this topic specifically i think there is need for both sides i think both sides exist to be able to balance each other out because without that you'll have extremes on either side and you can't have that 
So there's need for somebody to say, well, you know, I think you should add a little bit more grace to that. And I think that, you know, the other side, my side should say, okay, I think we should add a little bit more grace to that and, and be willing to understand that. But, you know, there, there, there should be unity here between these two sides. It's okay for us to see things differently, um, but there at least needs to be respectable unity. And ultimately, we know that the Holy Spirit will lead us into truth no matter what. So let the Holy Spirit do the work. If you feel something, pray, you know, pray about these things. If, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm always open to learn and, and believe me, I want to, before we begin, I want to tell you that if this was about me personally, I, who doesn't want it to be free grace and, and easy believism? Uh, who doesn't? I certainly, that would be, I, I would love for it to be that easy. I hope it is. If you're right and I'm wrong, man, that's, you know, okay. But it's not. <laughs> and, and, you know, but I still feel the pull to, you know, to think that way and to um, have a, a hope that that is true. I think if that is true, then that means, I mean, if it was for me personally, then that would mean that, you know, people that I love are not in hell, that they are definitely in heaven because at one time they believed and it didn't matter that they lived their life the way that they did. And some that confessed, but didn't live their life at all like it. So I would love for that to be true. And I hope it is. But that's not what the Bible says. It's not. And as I said, there needs to be two sides. And I'm not trying to be dogmatic with that statement. But even even appealing to the free grace or the you know free will side, um, we we can't cheapen salvation. And we both agree that there is believers. And unbelievers. We agree that there is going to be a group of believers who confess. They're not believers. They confess and, and, and claim that they are believers. But their hearts and their lives and, and nothing changes. They follow the, the God of this world. Okay, so we have these these two groups, the ones that confesses. And and even the other side would admit that in Matthew 13, when we're talking about the parable of the soils, that only one group of the soils is saved, of four soils. So they would admit that the other soils were confessing. They had they had fruit for a little bit, but they walked away. And we both agree that we can't lose our salvation. So that leaves us with a simple answer. They never were saved to begin with. They were claiming that they were saved. So we have to be careful with that. And that kind of leads into the P, which stands for perseverance of the saints or preservation of the saints, however you 
whatever word that you decide to use. They're both not the greatest description of the doctrine, but nevertheless, that's that's what it's known as. And we will take a look at this idea and see if it's something that's biblical by just using a few scriptures and and explaining a few other things. One of the well, first let me define the P. P. Perseverance of the saints or preservation. What does that mean? That means once saved, always saved. You're never going to lose your salvation. If you truly have it, there's nothing in the world that you can do to lose it. Absolutely nothing. Now, we know that that doesn't give us a license to sin. We know all these other things, and that's where the other doctrines come in that are important to understand what somebody is saying. Okay, but it is a guarantee of your salvation. So all of the other points leading up to this, it's God who calls those to him through this process, through this process of, of being regenerated, and then you are born again, and then you are sealed with the Spirit, and it can never leave. These points build on one another. And this is, this is that. Once, once you are sealed, once you have answered your calling, we know that the Bible clearly teaches predestination and election. Whether we like it or not, it does. Very clearly. Okay, so we know that we are predestined, and this is all done by the Lord's work. And this is where this is where it's important, and this is where I appeal to anybody that disagrees. Do we want to believe anything that puffs up man, or do we want to give credit to God? Now, don't be ridiculous and say that that makes us robots and we're just robotically following God. Absolutely not. You, you're misunderstanding the whole point. The whole point is that God is doing a work in you and you run to God because of that. I mean, you absolutely go to embrace him. He is the one that enlightens you. He is the one that gives you this. And you accept it. That is your will. You are. You want to do that. He's he's in. He's revealing himself to you, and you are responding from that in a way that you cannot help. That will never fail because it's irresistible grace. It's something that the Lord is doing, and you will get to this. But it's our will that does it, and it's the Lord that keeps this as a guarantee that this will occur. He keeps you from, from turning off of the path if you are truly in him. If you truly are following Christ as he demands, you are sealed, completely sealed. And predestined for this so you can't fail. No matter how hard you try. Look at all of the failures that we read in scripture. Peter, David, Solomon. 
we have so many large, large failures. But the Lord was true through all of those. And so again, this is one of those things that, uh, you know, I think this usually is one, this, this point is usually one that a lot of people we do agree on. This idea that we cannot lose our salvation. Once saved, always saved. That's, that's just the short name for the doctrine. So I think a lot of us, most of both camps, um, people that would say that this is, you know, Calvinism is evil and all that. I mean, this is actually where us and the dispensational side get along. And we say, yeah, we both agree that you can't lose your salvation. So where's the disagreement? Well, it's the disagreement in the mechanics of this. But the important thing, as I said earlier, is the fact that the mechanics of this is God's working and not yours. Why would we think that we could choose God and we did choose God? You can't even read your Bible for 10 minutes a day. What makes you think that you're going to somehow discover your own salvation? Without a little bit of help, a little bit of pushing you forward. Does it make you a robot? No. You're being shown. The Lord is revealing himself to you and working a mighty work in you. Paul says that he is sure that Christ will finish this work. But it is he that began it in you. It's him. And you're going to, you literally run to it. All you have to do is see a glimpse of this in theory and you run to it. So we're not robots. This is the Lord that does this work in you. So again, two simple, I mean, maybe we'll do three, but two simple scriptures that prove that once we are sealed with the spirit, it's not going anywhere. One of my favorite references would be Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a char any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I invite you to tell me how you can lose your salvation. By reading that. Nothing will keep you from the love of God. And if God loves you, I guarantee you, you have salvation. Is if that wasn't enough, we can't even be any more clear than the book of Ephesians. Paul starts in Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 4. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. His will. Not our will. His will. Okay? And, I mean... In him, in verse 11, going down to verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 13, here we go. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, were sealed it cannot get any more clear than that you are sealed with the promise holy spirit in verse 14 who is the guarantee underline that word guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory that's our new body's eternal life until we have that the spirit indwells in us and it guarantees that salvation and it does not leave. These two scriptures prove this without a shadow of a doubt. You cannot lose your salvation. Now, a lot of people will go back and they will point to Romans and they will say that in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, that you can be cut off too if you don't if you don't remain so people will will falsely say well that means cut off from salvation you lose your salvation and then they will point to Paul's other letters and they'll say these warnings here are describing losing your salvation okay there's there's many problems with that, okay? Mainly the two verses we just read because we understand that God does this work in you and he seals you, so he will never lose you. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer that I will not lose one of them, did not lose one of them that the Father gave me. So it's a guarantee without a shadow of a doubt. And then the other, the warning passages that are misunderstood 
are for unbelievers, those who confess but are not are not saved. Who play this game, who who play the line. Well they they continue for a little while, they, they but then they just leave. Nowhere does it indicate that those people who walk away were truly saved. Nowhere. That's an assumption. You're assuming something. You're assuming that they were saved. You're assuming that they walked away. Or lost their salvation, rather. Again, there's many problems of that. John tells us tells us in First John that they were not of us. Verse 19, 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. We have a host of false believers in the church. Satan is sowed these false ideas into the church to rip the church apart. We don't go look at everybody and assume that they have salvation. And this is why we have to be careful. Are we, we're supposed to judge rightly, not supposed to judge each other and be skeptical and, you know, the in-house we're supposed to love and assume the best out of everybody. But if somebody is continuing in sin and somebody is doing these things and never truly comes to this knowledge or, or, or this point, then they, it proves that they were never saved to begin with, so they didn't lose it. These warnings are for the people that never had it in the first place. And it's for us, those of us who are saved... To learn from and to look at that and get a holy fear of God and make sure that our lives are clear. And Paul, and that's what Paul indicates in the text too. That you that we examine in a different context, but we, we, we examine ourselves, we look at ourselves and and make sure that we're not in some some sin or or wrong or whatever it may be because we know it's not that we don't become sin less we just sin less a lot less and it, your relationship with sin is completely different so you you have to make these distinctions between these two groups we have to stop having this idea that there's not a whole host of false christians out there because there is and if you affirm that guess what those are going to be in your own church. Those are going to be in your own family. That could be you. And while you have time, if that is you, repent and turn to Christ. Maybe you're not truly saved. The Holy Spirit hasn't radically changed your life. There, there needs to be some, some questions asked. No judgments, but questions. 
Because this is serious. That's why we know that those of us who know that we are saved, without a shadow of a doubt, you can have that surety. How? Simply by your belief in Christ and your desire to follow him. Is it by the each individual work or something that you do? Absolutely not. That's a false accusation to say this is salvation by works. If you say that, I invite you to go read Galatians and you better be ready to make that charge that Paul says in Galatians. Because just to let you know that you're, you, you're damning somebody to hell anytime that you accuse them of teaching salvation by works. So you better be pretty educated if you're going to pronounce that kind of judgment. If you're not so sure, think about it. But we will absolutely persevere. We will absolutely reach eternal life because the Lord has already done it. It's a one-time action that's completed. It's done. You're on your path. There's great comfort in that. There's beauty in that. There's humility in that. So are these ideas something that John Calvin just cooked up or is this something that we can really pull from Scripture? Well, as I said, I, I would invite you to go read the whole book of John, the whole book of Romans, the whole book of Ephesians, and you let me know what you think. But we know that we will absolutely persevere. So these things are not doctrines of men, even if you don't agree. They are biblically rooted ideas. And the, the slander towards these things is absolutely absurd and just will not and should not be tolerated in the church anymore. And I know here in our comments, in our community, it's, we invite people to ask questions and to learn, but we do not invite just ignorance of people that just spout off. And this is something that um, it, it's something that many people are very unified on. So we're not going to, to tolerate any of this ridiculousness. It's something that should not divide the body of Christ as much as it does, but it's something that does. And it's a shame. So that goes over and finishes our, um, our five points. Um, I got questions, has a wonderful uh, article on, on, on Perseverance of the Saints. Um, I would recommend R.C. Sproul's works on Perseverance of the Saints or um, uh, Preservation, as I said, whatever you want to say. Um, John MacArthur always also has some wonderful sermons out there. If you just type in John MacArthur or R.C. Sproul, uh, Perseverance of the Saints, you'll get a couple sermons that come, come up and just watch all of them. Um, there's some beautiful sermons, and uh, they will give you some, some more depth, uh, obviously a more in-depth presentation of the idea. Um, and I'm assuming that most people are already, you know, most people that feel so strongly about this are already fully rooted in, in another camp. So 
again, just remain open to learn and listen and understand, even if you don't come into the, the same conclusion, that these, these are teachings that are rooted in Scripture and not from doctrines of men. On the day of judgment, do not, do not fear for the atheist so much, the thief, the murderer. If you want to be afraid for someone on the day of judgment, be afraid for those who carried the title pastor. Let me give you an example. I gave this example last night. Let's say that a king had a bride. He loved her. He dressed her in white. She was pure and precious to him. And the people admired her for her, for her virtue, for her merit. And the king has to go on a long journey. And so he, he uh, tells his steward, he calls his steward in and he says, here are the directions and you are to care for my bride. You do not deviate from this, not, not one jot or tittle. And when I come back, you'll be rewarded or I'll come back and you will be severely punished. Keep this book, these instructions with regard to her. Well, after a few years, this steward realizes that the people are losing their loyalty in the king. And they're no longer concerned about the bride because, well, she's just prudish. She's old fashioned. So he takes her and dresses, takes off her beautiful white garment and replaces it with something really sensual, paints her face like a prostitute and then marches her up and down the kingdom and uses this new look to attract carnal men back into the kingdom. When that king comes back, there, there are no words to describe what he will do to that steward. And when Jesus Christ comes back, there are no words to describe what he will do to many of these men who call themselves pastors who have done to his bride exactly what the steward did in that parable.